Well, church, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? You know, I got up this morning, I was just grateful. I don't know why. It was just like one of those days, I'm like, Lord, thank you for being who you are. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for getting me through Christmas. You know, I don't know about you all, but sometimes I'm I'm one of those guys that, you know, I can spot a negative thing or two around the holidays. It's has to do with, I think, a lot of us in our memories of childhood and all those kind of things. But I woke up this morning and was like, thank you, Jesus, for who you are. As we sang, we will overcome. Amen? By the word of our testimony. That's actually it. That's really the truth of it. By the word of your testimony. Have you believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and have you testified of it? Because if so... Nothing to be afraid of when it comes to that last breath. Amen? If you turn this morning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, we'll pick up. We're going to continue our study here in the Gospel of Luke as we've been here for a while. We'll be here for a while yet further. And the study that I've entitled, Death is No Match for Jesus. Do you know that truth this morning? Is that part of who you are in Christ You know, death is a strange thing as we contemplate it, and that's not to make any light of it, mind you. I I want to be really careful here because uh, many people are quite afraid of what happens when you take that last breath. There is a sense of the unknown, a sense of the fear for many. Uh, Suffering is real, grief is real, death is real, heartache is real, grieving, uh, the process of it, mourning is all real. I, I mean... Uh, to do no disservice to the grief that we experience uh, when a loved one passes away, or even the fear that sometimes we might have at taking that last breath. It's a reality. But the fact remains for the body of Christ that Jesus has conquered death. It's no match for Him. And as we come to these verses this morning, and we look at this young man, this widow, the story that we have before us of Jesus and what He thinks when it comes to death. Because that's really what matters. Every one of you had a first day. Amen? Every one of you had a first day. Can I remind you that every one of you is also going to have a last day? It is a fact. It's not a guess. No one is going to live on in these mortal bodies forever. And no matter what L. Ron Hubbard might have thought, and they preserved his brain in a cryotube, he is D-E-A-D dead. The question then becomes, what happens when you take your last breath? What is it that waits on the other side? There are those that believe there is no other side. There are people, maybe someone here this morning thinks that this life is all there is. That we're a collection of atoms and cells, molecules, proteins and amino acids that wander around this earth. And when you take your last breath, it all just begins that last decay of entropy into nothingness. For a Buddhist, that is all there is. The snuffing out of the candle, the end of existence... You become part of that great cosmic consciousness. 
But your Bible teaches a very, very different thing. And in fact, if you look at your Bible, if you happen to have a new King James Bible, death or its subsequent uh, words, death, dying, dead, die, kill, killing, killed, all those types of words, if you look at how many times they're mentioned, they're mentioned 1,407 times in your Bible. Death is real. It's not a joke. In fact, death and dying is treated more often, more frequently, and in more chapters and passages than is love and living. So death's pretty important. It's also not the end. And so this morning, we join up with Jesus as He journeys from Capernaum to a little tiny town called Nain. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You. Lord, we ask this morning that You would speak to us by the power of Your Spirit. Fall upon us. Lord, for we who know You, God, bring us Your peace and Your joy. Jesus, You are the Prince of Peace. And Lord, it is not peace as the world gives. It's peace knowing that our eternity is settled. You see us as alive in Christ. Help us to see ourselves the same. We bless you. We thank you for this time. Take your word now. Impart the truth of it to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin here this morning, basically your Bible teaches us very, very clearly there in Hebrews chapter 9, if you want to turn there, very important verse for us. Because it is one of those verses that when we look at it, uh, it is very clear what it says. Verse 27 in Hebrews 9, and it says, And as it is, please underline, it is, it's dictating a truth. It's not, it's going to be, it might be, it sort of could happen. It is a foregone conclusion. It is appointed. That word means to be established in truth, appointed. No guesswork, no hymn-hawing, no other option, no plan B. It is factually appointed for men, all men, every last man, woman, Child, human being, the word translated men there means all of humanity. It is a foregone conclusion that there is an appointed time for every last man, person, to die once. You're going to die. Now, for those of us who love the Lord, that actually is a comfort. I think the older you get, the more you look forward to heaven. The parts don't work like they used to. You get up in the morning, you you wonder if you have knees or concrete. You, You get up and you try and remember what you had for lunch the day before, and you can't remember what you had for breakfast today. You begin to think on all of the things that you may or may not have done or should or should have done that you maybe haven't yet accomplished and you realize that something far greater awaits the child of God. 
It is appointed for every one of us one time to die. But after this, judgment. That is where there is an option. And that is where there is a choice. Because that judgment seat can either be in heaven for your eternal destiny to be forever in the presence of the Lord, or at the second death at the great white throne judgment, where you will hear, Depart, for I have never known you. The dying is certain. The judgment is up to you. What you would like to have. Would you like to be judged on the merits of the King and King, the Lord of Lords, the Great I Am, the one who is the conqueror of sin and its penalty death, or do you want to be judged based on who you are, what you've done? How much philanthropy you accomplished while you were here. How many great books you wrote or read. How much schooling you have. How many people you knew while you were here. How much you were in the public eye and how much people loved you. Now in saying all this, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of that. Matter of fact, I hope people love you. They're supposed to and you're supposed to love them. I pray that you are well-read and intelligent. You should be. I pray that you do works of gracious philanthropy to everyone. But can I tell you, when you take your last breath, you're going to stand before a holy God. And that holy God is going to judge you based on the merits of exactly one issue. What did you do with my son Jesus? not what you did with your time while you're on this earth. You're getting into heaven because of Christ, or you will not get into heaven because of Christ. And those that think there's another option, and who believe that God's word is true, have a problem with what the scriptures say. For it is appointed once for men to die, And after this judgment, for Christ was also, it says in verse 28, offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly, it tells you exactly who. It tells you exactly who. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin and for salvation. Jesus isn't afraid of death, and neither should you be in Christ. Turn, if you would, to your, one of my favorite passages, because it contains a view of what lies ahead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you wouldn't mind turning there to verse 50. I want to establish this before we look at what our gospel passage says this morning. Make no mistake, as a child of God... You get cancer. Cancer is not a good thing. It's not a good thing. If you're in a car accident and severely injured, it's not a good thing. It's horrible. It's painful. But if you're a Christian, it's also not your end. It is your beginning. Of the very best. 
It says verse 50 here in 1 Corinthians 15, And now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Very plain statement. The Apostle Paul is saying, look, there's a vital transformation that must occur between that time that you take your last breath and you step into eternity. There's something that must occur, and it can happen really for us in one of two ways. Either we take our last breath, we're transformed, or we're raptured and we're transformed. Either is good for us, okay, who love the Lord. Notice what it says here. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. It's just simply a truth. It can't happen. You can't have corrupt things in heaven. Your mortal body is a corrupt thing. Look around the room. You'll see that's true. It's a corrupt thing. Entropy is taken over. Decay is taken over. And one day, back to the dust of the earth from whence everyone was ever made, that was made, is where you're going to go if you take long enough on this earth to reach that point. You're going to die. And then you're going to dissolve. And so he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. And notice the we. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Guess who the we is? It's people who love the Lord Jesus and are looking for His glorious appearing of our great God and King. Amen? I'm looking forward to Jesus coming. And if He should happen to tarry until I take my last breath, I win. If He snatches me out of here sooner than that, and us out of here sooner than that, we win. All of us, cumulatively, who love the Lord. It's an exciting truth. It should be something that every day you wake up, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen? Maranatha. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. I look forward to the Lord's return. Now in saying that, have I been perfect in my life on this earth? Oh, no. Any of you who know me know that that's not true. I'm not perfect. But I'm going to be perfected one day. And when I get there, I'm going to be like Him. And I'll tell you, that's a whole bunch better than being like me. I'd rather be like Him. And as you read the rest of this, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, it'll sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Hallelujah. I look forward to that day. So now let me explain something to you just briefly. Whether I take my last breath and die, or whether I am raptured, the result is the same. Amen? Glory. Incorruptibility. No more sin, no death, no dying, no pain. In the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. Amen? Amen, church. need to lay hold of that. You need to realize that is your destiny as a member of the body of Christ. Not because of you, because of Him. So, now as we come to this passage of Scripture, we can lay hold of where Jesus was at in this point in time. Because for Him, death was no match. Death was an inconvenience, if anything, to the Lord Jesus that He took advantage of to minister. 
Family of God, when you go to a hospital room and you're visiting somebody, and they're near the end, I will tell you this, there is no school, there is no book, there is nothing you can read, there is no class you can take, there is no video you can watch to tell you what to do when you're in the presence of someone who's near death. Words seem to fail. Actions seem hollow. Because only the Lord controls that situation. It's out of their hands. It's out of your hands. It's out of the doctor's hands. It's in the hands it is appointed for men once to die. God knows exactly when it's going to happen. So for us... I trust Him to be in His hands. We trust Him to be in His hands. And everyone who's ever trusted in Christ trusts the Lord to be in His hands. That confession. Death was no match. And that's why 1 Corinthians 15.58 says what it says, And therefore, my beloved brethren, my family in Christ, Paul is saying, Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in Him, because when you take your last breath, you're going to see Jesus. But people still fear death. The story I read that explains this wonderfully. Terminally ill man is... Visiting his doctor, he's in the doctor's office, he's sitting there with the doctor, and this is an office that doctor doesn't normally use. And outside of the office, there's a little alcove, and the doctor brings his dog to work. It's not in the examination room. But he's talking to the patient, and the patient says, Doctor, I'm afraid, I, I don't know what's on the other side. And so he says, so, so what is it? You're a doctor. You should know these things. What's on the other side? He looked at him and said, I don't know. I'm a Christian. I don't know exactly what's on the other side. And he opened the door, and the dog came bounding into the room. He said, do you see what my dog just did? My dog's never been in this room before, ever. The only thing my dog knew was that his master was inside this room. That's good enough for me. Family of God, that's where we need to be in our walks with the Lord. All we need to know is that's where Jesus is. That's where our master is. And that's the encouragement we have. Everything you've ever known about Christ through studying His Word is going to be revealed in fullness when you get there. That's an exciting thing. I don't know how many of you are excited about museums, but I am. I've had the opportunity to travel to some of the most wonderful museums in the world. And if you travel to great museums, we have some here in Southern California, quite frankly. But in Vienna, there are some amazing museums. When you travel to the Austrian Museum of Natural History, and and you look at the history of man, and and you look at all these things... It is amazing how much time was spent on the study of death. You know, it's like, 
I'm gonna. If you've ever seen some of the sarcophagi that the Egyptian, you've ever been to the King Tut exhibit, and you, it's like that for a corpse. We spend a lot of time preoccupied with death. Verse 11 here in Luke 7. And now it happened the day after. Remember, we just left Jesus having healed the servant without even seeing him. It was a servant to the centurion in Capernaum. Jesus is now going to make a short journey to the town of Nain. It's a single day's walk if you do it rather briskly. It's probably 20, 23 miles depending on the direction you take. You can walk it in a day. The day after that he went to the city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him. And so he's drawing a crowd from Capernaum to travel with him to this little tiny city of Nain. And a large crowd. And so it appears as though he's picking up people along the way. It's like this whole movement is gathering steam. And I would just remind you that as he's doing this, we have here a very unexpected death. Very rarely is death expected, amen? Sometimes we kind of know we're going and we get, you know, maybe the doctor tells you, well, you've got two weeks to live and in two weeks you're gone. But that's rare. Most of the phone calls I get are two o'clock in the morning. My wife was in a car accident. My son's in the hospital. My, My husband dropped dead in our driveway from a heart attack. It's almost always unexpected from a human perspective, but remember what it says in Hebrews 9, not from God's perspective. It's appointed. He knows when it is. We don't know when it is. And so the measure of uncertainty, the unexpectedness of this event. And when he came near the gate of the city, and behold, a dead man was being carried out. The gate of the city is where two things generally happened. Begging and business. That's where the beggars met people who were coming to and from, and that's where people generally did the business of the community, was at the gate of the city. This was a place where everyone would see what was going on. And so, no chance there that Jesus was going to do this, and probably the most popular place in Nain, the city gate. And so, behold, a dead man was being carried out. Now, If this isn't tragic, I don't know what is. Remember the time. Most people lived in a a very shallow level of subsistence. They got a few fish from here and a few vegetables from here and maybe some meat upon occasion from here, but it was the family unit that allowed people to survive during that day and time. And actually, the larger the family, the better off you generally were. Now, this is a very small family. Notice what's being said. The only son of his mother. Remember, if you can with me for a moment, that in that day and time, Jewish heritage was carried on only through the son. And so the loss of the only son was a huge deal. You ceased being, in essence, a family as soon as there were no male members. What does it say? And she was a widow. This is as tragic a situation as comes in life at that time, and it's not a whole lot better today, amen? It's bad enough to lose your husband, but to lose your only son. This is a, this is a deep, deep tragedy. And Jesus doesn't treat it lightly. 
And neither should we. It's a serious business. But it's business he's well equipped for. She was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he was moved. He had compassion on her. Can I say to you, it's one thing to see a tragedy, it's another thing to do something about it. Jesus did something about it. And he said to her words that you and I, frankly, should never use in this situation. Do not weep. Coming from the author of life, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, absolutely appropriate. But don't ever tell a grieving mom not to weep over her son. Not much more unkind thing you can say than that. But Jesus being Jesus was moved with compassion and said, Do not weep. And he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. Remember, in that day and time, an open coffin was unclean. Jesus did the unthinkable. He touched the open coffin. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And so he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he presented him to his mother. You ever thought your problem was too big for God? I'm guessing your problem was never going to be any bigger than that one. You've lost your husband, you've lost your son, and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is able to say, that's too much. Here's your son. Now, I'm not making promises to you, by the way. It only happened three times in Scripture. There's the young girl, Jairus' daughter. There's this young man, and of course, Lazarus, and Jesus himself, if you want to include the one who made it all possible. So don't be looking for God to raise the dead in your family. But can I say to you, as we'll see when we close, every last one of you was already dead. He presented him to his mother, and then fear came upon them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us. You see, from a human perspective, they're just simply seeing this as something that they can't explain. They're not really looking at it from the proper perspective. It's a great prophet. If all Jesus is to you is a great prophet, then you have a problem. Because that's exactly what Islam teaches. He's a great prophet. He's a prophet who happens to also be sinless Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Very different situation. And God has visited His people. They got that part right. Isn't it interesting how people can kind of have part of the story okay and then they mess up the rest of it? When you talk to people about Jesus, you ever had people that's like, well, no, I think Jesus is an ideal, like Christian science teaches. There's the Christ ideal. You know, everybody can reach that ideal. Now, Jesus, as we saw, is Emmanuel, God with us. They got that part right. And this report about him went out through all Judea to the surrounding regions. Jesus broke up every funeral he ever attended. He, you know, if you didn't want your funeral broken up, don't invite Jesus. 
You know, he's just that kind of guy. When, when you look at who this, this young man is, he represents to that mother everything. Do you realize that God wants to be the solution to your everything? God wants to be your everything. Christ wants to be your everything. He wants you to not be able to live without Him. Josh McDowell was writing a new book a couple of years ago. And in going through the social data that that was available at that time about our world today, and really it pertains to today, it was finished in 2008, so it's relatively new as far as statistical data goes. He says the church is so lacking Christ that if you took Jesus out of most churches, most churches would still look the same. I'm thankful. I don't believe that's true in this church. But it is true in a lot of churches that you could take Jesus out and he'd still function as if he were what he's always been, which is not everything. Christ is my everything. Without him, I would die and face judgment and it wouldn't be good. He's the one that tore the veil. I didn't all of a sudden get knowledge in my head to where, okay, well now I figured it out. I can be righteous. And so Jesus is dealing with this poor widow in a way that only Jesus could meet that incredible depth of pain. Can I tell you, whatever you have brought today that is your most deep and difficult, maybe even dark issue in your life, Christ is more than able. And you are more than conquerors through Him who loves you. Even death. Death is no match for Jesus. And He proves it in this passage. You know, sometimes we kind of almost treat death like kids. Amen? We think we can wish it away, or, you know, if we just, you know, take a few more vitamins. How many of you have vitamins in your house? Raise your hands. How many of you take your vitamins? Some of you do. Yeah, we, we think if we take more vitamins, or we eat more, you know, free range chicken, or we throw out the, the iceberg lettuce and we go to romaine or kale. And, you know, we, you know, just have broccoli feasts or whatever. You know, you, you're gonna live forever. You just keep, you know, you can control. Family of God, eat bacon, you're gonna die. <laughs> you're gonna croak someday. Don't be miserable while you're here, okay? We, we, we kind of think like kids sometimes about death. Death is not to be feared for the body of Christ. It's an unknown and is always that fearful thing for children. That's why kids, when you talk to them about serious things like that, they're... (gasps) Story, I don't know how many of you grew up in denominational churches, but in our Baptist church, we had in the back wall, we had a a big plaque of all the people who were in service, and sometimes there were you know, names on there where people had actually given their life in service. There's a story of a little boy that came up and he was looking at a plaque just like that, usually two flags coming out of it. And it, you know, said, died in service. And the little boy looked up at it and he's just shaking and trembling. He says, which one, the 9 or the 1045? You know, that's, that's kind of how we, you know. 
sometimes we just think if we just talk about it really goofy, then it'll just go away. You're going to die. And so the Lord comes. The Lord comes to this woman. She needed His help. There was nothing she could do about what was going on. And she was on the longest walk of her life. And if you go to that city today, the cemetery is actually still there. And you can you can walk. It's about ten minutes from the center of town. And so she's making this procession. And so these two groups collide. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Lord of Death. You see, the Lord of Death from a human perspective is the enemy. It looks like the enemy's won. This child who died too soon is gone. And this woman is grieving. But here comes the collision course of the Lord of Life and Death. And guess who wins? Jesus. That's all of us, all the time in Christ Jesus. If you go to those little towns today and you walk over those little hills in between, these just like it being like the next Franca, but right next door to it was a was a town that's maybe you've heard of. And it's the the town of Indoor. And that's not the moon that the Ewoks live on, okay, in Star Wars. It's actually a town of Endor. But in there was, in, and you find this story in, in 1 Samuel chapter 28. And, and if you want to turn there, you can. We're going to be there for a few moments. But in that town lived a medium during the time of Saul, a witch, a conjurer. And if you remember what your Bible says, God had already told the Israelites, do not hang out with sorcerers. Don't do it. In fact, get rid of them. Kill them. And so here's this little town, and I've often wondered in looking at this story, because Nain and Endor are right next to each other. It's like Jesus walks by Indoor because you would have to pass it coming from Capernaum. He's why maybe he's talking to the people in the crowd. He says, yeah, that's Indoor. That's where Saul consulted the medium. Didn't work out too good for him because uh, if you remember correctly, the witch actually supposedly saw Samuel, talked to Samuel, the the guy who was dead, and uh, then told Saul, "You're going to croak." So maybe you don't want to do that. So here, Jesus is walking by, and maybe he shared that story with him, and he's saying, look, I'm the Lord of life. I'm the Lord of life. And so he walks past this little ancient village of Endor and goes to the city of Nain. And when Saul began to communicate with that witch that was there, if you remember the story, and you can read it later when you get home, What Saul was trying to do was circumvent, if you will, the will of the Lord. He's saying, look, I don't like what I'm hearing here. I'm not liking what's happening here, and I'm going to do it the world's way. So I'm going to try and talk to a witch and see what she will do. Family of God, this is how we are, are faced with decisions today. You've got God's way, and you've got the world's way. And you can either do what God says, or you can do what the world says. And if you do what the world says, you're going to suffer the consequences of doing things the world's way. And in that story, 
Israel and the Philistines were preparing to make war on each other. Saul, the king of Israel at the time, he's filled with fear. He's desperate to hear from the word of God, but he has been unfaithful. So rather than cleansing his heart, and here's the thing that I want to bring to your attention, rather than saying, Lord, I have sinned against you, Lord, I'm a mess. I've been living for the world. I'm doing exactly what the world wants me to do. Instead of forsaking that, he goes deeper into the world. Leviticus had already told him, don't seek them out. They're to be cut off from the people. That's why he was having a tough time finding a witch in the first place. He was actually responsible for kicking them all out of the land. He had done what the Lord wanted. How many people, that's their place in life at times. You've already kicked the witch of Endor out of your life, and then you go try and hunt her down again. You've already... Maybe it was a warlock. Okay, I don't want to be gender specific here. The warlock of it. I don't know. But I know this. Returning to the world when you have tasted the things of God is the dumbest mistake that you can make in your life. You want to bring and heap upon yourself pain and anguish, then... Walk with the Lord and then turn away and go back to the world. Don't do it. And so Jesus, as he's walking past this town, I think you've got to be really careful. Because a lot of Christians kind of throw themselves in this boat. I, I've known Christians. Well, I talk to my dead aunt all the time. I'm pretty sure you're not talking to your dead aunt. Because if your aunt knew the Lord Jesus, she's in heaven. And she don't care what you're doing down here right now. She's in the presence of the Lord. You're not talking to her. You might be talking to some demons. That's possible. But communicating with the dead, unless you've got the IQ of a cannoli, don't. Don't. Only Jesus has power over death. You want to talk to somebody, talk to somebody about someone who's gone, talk to Jesus about someone who's gone, because he knows exactly what's going on. You see, ultimately, the Lord is just saying, look, I am going to do for this young man and for this woman something that no one else can do. He's given them a little preview, basically, of the rapture, if you will. Think about it for a second. This guy's dead. Pretty clear he's dead. Funeral procession is underway. I'm pretty sure that they checked for a pulse. They probably did, you know, they got the carotid artery. They probably took his pedal pulse too. They no doubt had physicians like that. Nothing. He's dead. D-E-A-D, dead. They're on their way to the cemetery. And Jesus is saying, that's not that big a deal. Let me do for you what no one else can do. Let me do for you what the world cannot do. Let me give you what the world cannot give. My peace, Jesus said, I give you. Not peace as the world gives. I give you my peace. Death was no match for Jesus, and it still isn't. Now, I don't know about you. That's why I started with there's two ways for us to leave this planet. Either you take your last breath, you see Jesus, or Jesus comes and sees you face to face as you leave this earth. Both are really good. So if you have a bad case of rapturitis going on, it's okay. You're one day going to die from it. That'll also be good. 
you see, this is how real faith works. I don't know everything about death. When people ask me, you know, what happens when you die? For a Christian, you go to be with Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I don't need to know. I'm, I want to be like that dog. All I know is my master's over there. That's all I need to know. And so, for those of you that have Labradors, you know what happens when your Labrador gets excited. There's leaping and jumping, and, and they spin around. I don't even know how they, they turn in their own body length. It, it's an impossibility. I can't even spin around without falling down one time, but they seem to be able to jump, leap in the air, turn around, and land right back looking at you again like they never left that position. They're excited. All I'm doing is coming home. I got the smell of some new plant on me or whatever. And they're like, Master is home. They knock you down when you try and come up the stairs. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a little bit of excitement about going to see Jesus? Amen? If a dog can get that excited about seeing me, I think we could get excited about seeing Jesus. Not fearing it. Because you see, for this lady, she proved to herself that her trust was validated in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. She got her son back. You realize you're getting all of your relatives back who knew the Lord? You're going to see him one day. The only difference between her story and your story is the length of time between when you lose him and when you see him again. That's it. Other than that, for the body of Christ, whether you die, you had somebody that's, that's left and they're in heaven right now, one day you're going to see him. If you've got someone who's sick and maybe they're on the verge of it, when they pass away, if they're in Christ, you're going to see them again. That's why preaching the gospel is the most important thing you can do to someone who's on their deathbed. It's not, well, I really need to reconcile what I said to you 20 years ago. Share the gospel and then do that. Tell them about Jesus and then talk about those trivial things. Because the only thing that's going to matter is where they are in Christ. Because it is appointed. And frankly, Ephesians chapter 2 says, And you He made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Amen? So we're all dead. It's just a matter of when you're going to get judged. And it's a matter of who you're going to be judged with and in. Are you going to be found in Christ? And it's going to be the greatest day of your existence or without. And it's going to be the worst day of your existence. So for this family, they met Jesus. For us, I pray we meet Jesus. Amen? And if you haven't, we're going to have some pastors up front. If you need to pray and receive Christ, that's the one decision you need to make before you exit this earth. Because if you do that, the rest of it's gravy. The rest of it's good. The rest of it is eternity in the presence of the Lord. The rest of it is arise and walk. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus who himself said he was the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in him, even if we take that last breath, we shall live. And if we live and believe in him, 
truly in eternity we shall never die. We'll simply be in His presence, in Your presence, King Jesus. We thank You for that promise. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that's never professed You and confessed You and said yes to Your Lordship, they wouldn't leave this place without meeting Jesus. Lord, we thank You for Your goodness. We thank You for this poignant story, Lord, of what death means to You. You conquered it. You defeated it. And because You defeated it, so will we. We love You. We praise you. We bless you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.